Good morning, everyone. Our reading for today is 1 John chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of God. Amen. Good morning, church. First John chapter 1, if you, if you haven't found it in your Bible yet, start finding it. Hopefully by now you're there. Koinonia. Koinonia is the name of this uh, series that we're in here for the month of January. Koinonia, fellowship, Greek, a Greek word uh, meaning fellowship. Today we're going to look at our fellowship in Christ, through Christ, koinonia, through Christ, is what we're going to look at today. In Christ, we have fellowship with God and with each other. That'll be point number one. And then we'll ask the question, how do I know if I'm out of fellowship with God? And then number three, we'll ask the question, what about when I sin? What happens when I sin? That's where we're going this morning. So number one, in Christ, we have fellowship with God and with each other. 
Let me start by asking a question. What is a Christian? So that's pretty basic, right? It's a good question for a church to ask once in a while and answer once in a while. What is a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Is a Christian primarily someone who believes the right things or, or knows Christian doctrine? Is, is, a Christian, is Christianity primarily defined by behavior? What we do? We do Christian things? Is a Christian someone who receives the sacraments? Does that make someone a Christian? Is a Christian someone who's not going to hell? That's someone who, that's a Christian. That's our definition of a Christian. And all of those things are good and important. They're all, they're all important parts of the equation, aren't they? We need to believe the right thing. We need to, we need to do Christian things. Um, we're not going to hell. All of that is important and good. John defines, first John, John defines being a Christian here in verse 3 by saying that a Christian is someone who has fellowship with the Father and with His Son. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. A Christian is someone who is in fellowship with the Father, God, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is the definition of a Christian. This is why, let me just get off track for a second. This is, you know, I prayed about Christian nationalism in my prayer. This is why Christian nationalism is so dangerous, because it creates a form of cultural Christianity whereby we add to that definition. And we start, we start to think that, oh, I am a Christian because I believe in, in a certain political system or a certain economic system those are what make me a Christian. And listen to me, Christian, that is not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is you are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. In other words, you're in fellowship with the Trinity. You're in fellowship with the Godhead. That's what makes you a Christian. And so we have to be careful not to add to that. Not, not to say, oh, but then there's this you got to do and there's this. You, you, you also have to believe this. How could you be a Christian? No Christian could ever support po politician X. No, no, you've just added to the definition, haven't you? So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. So fellowship. What is fellowship? What is koinonia? It's a common Greek word. The apostles take a common everyday Greek word, a common everyday concept to them, and they, they appropriate it and they turn it into a very deep theological truth. That's what's happening in your New Testament. So koinonia, in Luke chapter 5, the word koinonia is used to describe Peter, James, and John being in business together. They have a fishing business together. They have a koinonia. So they're partners in business. So that's the, that's the concept. So in, the, in Greek writing, in, in writings not in the Bible, koinonia would be used to describe a business partnership. It was used to describe marriages. It was even used to, in, to describe um, being in koinonia with pagan deities. People could be in koinonia with Zeus, for example. 
So it was a common word that our apostles are going to use. So it's, it means to have something in common. It means to share or partake. In 1 Peter, we just got done going through 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, Peter used it and he said that we share in the sufferings of Christ. We koinonia in the sufferings of Christ. We partake in them. Our word for communion. So every once in a while here at church, you know, the, the bread and the juice, and we call it communion. Koinonia, it's that word. It comes from 1 Corinthians where Paul uses that word and he says, isn't, isn't our communion with Christ? Isn't our communion with one another? Isn't the, isn't the um, bread we eat and the wine we drink, is it, is it not our communion, our koinonia? And so it's a word that they then used to help us understand our relationship to God. Okay, so what do you have in common with God? In your natural state... Without, without Jesus, you are born and you have nothing in common with God, virtually. Hopefully you understand that. So I, I drew you, we draw you a picture. Very simple picture. So this picture on the left, we are born in a state of separation from God. See that thick black line separating the God circle and the man circle? Okay, that's how you were born. You were born without communion with God, without koinonia with God. You've got nothing in common with God. God is perfect. You're not. God loves all the time. You don't. God does everything right. You do everything wrong. You are not in communion with God. You don't have, you have very little in common with God. But then Jesus enters the equation, doesn't he? Jesus comes into the equation, so that picture on the right, Jesus becomes the God-man. Jesus is the God-man, and now he is, he literally is the thing we have in common with God. Because Jesus is God, so God the Father and, Je and, and God the Son, Jesus, they got a lot in common, don't they? Literally everything. They totally love the same exact way. They think all the same thoughts. They do all the same things. They have everything in common. And, in, and by his incarnation, Christmas time, incarnation, Jesus becoming man, now we have something in common with Jesus too, don't we? Humanity. So the book of Hebrews will say things like, Jesus has gone through everything you've gone through. Every way that you've been trialed and tested and all the hard stuff you've gone through as a human being, Jesus has gone through that. So now he, he, has, he has something in common with us. And what does that mean? Look at the picture. It means that now we can actually have something in common with God. Jesus. Jesus is what we have in common with God. Jesus is our koinonia. He is our partnership. Every barrier is removed. So that picture on the left, that thick black line, that barrier. So the two things have to happen. For us and God to be in communion with each other, to be in koinonia, two things have to happen. First of all, that thick black line has got to be removed. The barrier has got to be removed, doesn't it? And that's the cross, everyone. That's the cross. In this text, John said a couple important things towards the end, didn't he? He is our propitiation. Did you catch that big word? He is our propitiation. What that means is that that thick black line is gone between us and God because of what Christ's cross has done. The wrath, we just sang it, the wrath of God was satisfied. We sang that in that song, in Christ alone. 
And so now that line, we can have communion with God because our sin, our inner sin nature, and the sins we commit are both dealt with on the cross. On the cross of Jesus Christ, by his shed blood, every individual sin that you've committed has been forgiven and cleansed. But even more, even more, there's more. Through the death of Christ and your union with the death of Christ, your sin nature is also dealt with. Otherwise, what you're left with is you keep sinning for eternity. It's forgiven, sin, forgiven, sin, forgiven, sin, forgiven. But you just keep sinning all the time. Well, that's not, that's no way to, nobody wants that forever, do you? Do you want that forever? God, in his rich, abundant mercy, went one step further and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not just, just I'm going to destroy the sin factory. I'm going to burn down the sin factory that's inside of you. So on the cross, he did both. He removed that divide. And, and also for there, there to be communion, not only does the barrier have to be removed, but there has to be something in common. And again, our shared life in Christ is what we hold in common with God the Father. We have the eternal life. Chapter 1, verse 2. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Do you see what John's doing? He's doing the same thing he did in his gospel. He's saying that the eternal life is not a concept, it's a person. The logos of life, he said. The logos of life, the very last two words, uh, two or three words here of verse one, concerning the logos of life, the logos of life, the eternal life is a person, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus didn't just come and say, hey, this is what eternal life is and this is what it looks like. Good luck. Go find it. Have a good journey. He didn't do that. He didn't say, hey, if you follow all my teachings, if you get all my teachings right, you will achieve eternal life. He didn't say that either, did he? He looked at everybody and he said, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So now by knowing the Son, you have the life. And now you have something in common. Let's look at how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians. He says, God, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. We were called into the koinonia of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Peter says something even crazier. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And then look at this. Verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Guess what the word partakers is there? I'll give you three guesses. First two don't count. <laughs> koinonia. Koinonia. You may become koinonia of the divine nature. Share in the divine nature. Partake of the divine... Listen, this does not mean you become God. It doesn't even mean you become a God. What it means is, through Jesus Christ, because you share Him in common with God, you can now share in the nature of God. 
the communicable attributes of God, the parts of God that, he's, that he shares with us, you can now have, like love, like peace, like hope, fruits of the Spirit, joy, gentleness, meekness, self-control. Those are all, those are all the nature of God that you can share in, Christian. Isn't that amazing? And so here's fellowship. Fellowship. Here's koinonia. Here's my definition of, of koinonia for you. To partake in the life of the Trinity and to partner in the purpose of the Trinity. What is koinonia? It is us partaking in the life of the Trinity and partnering in the purposes of the Trinity. So when John says, you, we have, we're, uh, he's saying, I'm proclaiming eternal life to you. I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ as eternal life to you so that you might have koinonia with God. You might partake in the life of God. He goes on in this, in this letter, he'll describe God's life as light and as love. God is light. And then a little bit later in the letter, he'll say, God is love. We partake in light and love. And we partner in the purposes of God. Isn't that amazing? This is truly one of the most amazing concepts in all of Scripture. That we can have the life of God and that we can do the work of God. We are a partner with Him. This gives us everything our hearts need. Purpose, meaning, significance, glory. Everything you're looking for is wrapped up in koinonia. Koinonia. Notice what he says. Our fellowship, verse 3, our fellowship, your fellowship with us, with the Father and with the Son. Listen, Christian. Our fellowship with God is the foundation, it's the basis, therefore, of our fellowship then with each other. And I'm not going to talk a ton about that today because that's going to be next week's sermon. We're going, to go, we're going to probably jump into the book of Acts and show how the word koinonia is used there to describe how we get along with each other. But because we have fellowship with God through Jesus, that shared experience with Christ, we have a shared experience with Christ. Okay, Everything that has happened to Christ has happened to you. Christ has died on the cross. You say, I didn't die on the cross, but spiritually you died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Yet I live, right? Romans 6. Hey, don't you know that you were crucified with Christ? So Christ's righteous life, that is your shared life. Christ's death on the cross, that is your shared death. Christ's burial, Romans 6, that is your shared burial. Christ's resurrection, that is your shared resurrection. Christ's ascension into glory, your, Christ's glorification, that is your shared experience with Christ. To the point where Paul will say, you are already seated in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2.5. Whom, whom, whom God justified, he is also already glorified. You are sharing an experience with Christ. And because each and every Christian is sharing a common experience with Christ, we are all sharing a common experience with each other. I've heard people say, the, the beauty of the gospel is that everybody can experience it differently. No, no, we do not all experience the gospel differently. Actually, we all experience it the same 
exact way. It's called the fellowship of the gospel, Philippians chapter 1. It's called the fellowship of the gospel. We are all experiencing the same experience of Christ. That's why John, in this letter, he starts us out with an objective argument. Let me read it to you again. John, 1 John chapter 1, Carmen read it. Let me read it again. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. Do you see all that? What is he describing? He's describing an objective reality, a, an historic Jesus an actual physical Jesus that lived and walked. And John knew him, John saw him, John heard him, John touched him. That, that objective Jesus, that historic physical Jesus, is the basis for our shared, a common experience of him. We are all experiencing the same fellowship of the gospel you are not having a unique experience of Christ. This is, and by the way, th so that's why we gather. We, that's why we come into this room on Sundays and get together. That's why you can't, you, you, you can't grow alone. You just can't. You can't, there's too much of that in, in, our, in our Christian culture today. There's too much of this, like, I got to get alone with Jesus and have my unique little experience with Jesus. No, that's not biblical. You grow by having a shared common experience of Christ as you gather together and sing the same songs and hear the same word preached and, and take the same communion and, and worship God in unison together. We're all walking through the same transformative path, the same transformative progression of sanctification. There is no class system, no caste system in Christianity. There's not good Christians and bad Christians. There's not, there's not Christians that are having a deeper experience of Jesus and others are not. No. Christ is doing the same work in every single one of us. Okay, but that's next week's sermon. Sorry. Are you in fellowship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Let me just ask you that question. Basically, what I'm asking you is, do you have eternal life? Are you in the light? Or are you in the dark? If you're listening to me this morning, this is the most important. This is why John says, this is why we're proclaiming all this. This is why we're writing this. We're writing this so that you can have fellowship with God. Are you in fellowship with God and Jesus Christ this morning? Are you in fellowship with the Trinity? Because listen, you either are or you either are or you aren't. Do you have eternal life? Have you believed? Have you received? John 3.16, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus God sent His Son, Jesus, so that whoever believes on Him would have eternal life. John 1.12, whoever receives Him, God gave the right to be called the children of God. Have you not, not just believed intellectually, but have you received Christ into your life? Have you said, I want what you're given, Jesus? If Jesus walked in here with a Christmas present and He set it up here, and, and you said, yep, I believe that's a Christmas present, and walk out... You're a fool. What do you got to do? 
you got to walk up here and open up the Christmas present, don't you? you got to say, I really believe that's a Christmas present, and I believe that what's in that box will save my life. And what's in that box is himself. Jesus is giving us himself. And are you expressing your fellowship? So that first, that first question is more for those of you that are still wrestling with Christianity. And my second question is for those of you that are Christians. Are you living in fellowship with the church? Are you expressing your fellowship with God through your fellowship with the saints? And, and you, we've got to wrestle with this, especially in this season of COVID, because the season of COVID has got us isolated. And I get it. A lot of you, you that are home, I, I, I support it and I understand it. And we got to be safe. And for a lot of us to be home is to be loving. But, you know, we have got to step back and ask ourselves the hard questions. Am I finding ways to be in fellowship with the body? Am I expressing my fellowship with the Trinity through my fellowship with the body? Number two. Number two. How can I know that I am not in fellowship with God? Well, here's the question. Are you in darkness or are you in light? Because I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to tip my hand to you guys. I'm going to tip my hand to you. Pastor Brady believes that you're either in fellowship with God or you're not. I know that a lot, of, a lot of times Christians will say, like, oh, I'm out of fellowship with God. I'm a Christian, but I'm out of fellowship with God. And I get it. I get what you mean. I think, I think the, the problem is we're using that word fellowship the way we use it in our, in our modern parlance, in, the, in our common English way. Like, I haven't spent a lot of time with him. I'm not paying close attention to him. But I want you to know that I believe that you're either, if you're a Christian, you are in fellowship with God. Adrian Rogers, the great Southern Baptist preacher, said it this way. Men fall into two classes, those who are in fellowship with God and therefore walk in the light and love, and those who are not in fellowship with God and therefore walk in darkness and in hatred. And he gets that from 1 John, obviously. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British preacher of the early 20th century says it this way. He starts out by, by referencing other scriptures about light and darkness. He says, so that to walk in the light as he is in the light means that to use the language of, of Paul in Colossians, I have been translated from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son, or the language of Peter in his first epistle, expressing the same doctrine when he says, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's it. It is the kingdom to which we belong. And then he goes on to say this. I emphasize this. This is Martin Lloyd-Jones talking. I emphasize this because you will find that certain people with their particular theory of holiness and sanctification are always teaching that the only people who walk in the light are, are certain very special Christians. Whereas what John is saying is that every Christian of necessity is one who is walking in the light. The non-Christian is the one who is walking in darkness. I love this line. All Christians, however feeble, unworthy and faltering are people who are walking in the light 
Otherwise, they are not Christians at all, and none of the remarks of the apostle in any way apply to them. So, are you in fellowship with God? Brady, how can I know if I'm out of fellowship with God? Okay, here's, here's my answer. Number one, do you deny the person of Christ as either divine or human? Do you deny the person of Christ as either divine or human in nature? Because, see, that's what John, John chapter 1 is up against. That's what John's addressing. Why is he making such a big deal about, hey, we saw Jesus and we heard Jesus and we touched Jesus? Because in John's day, there was a, there was a teaching. It was called Gnosticism. And that teaching said that Jesus was not a human. He was kind of like a ghost. And so he had no body because God doesn't like the physical. God would say the body is bad. Everything physical is bad. And so Gnostics said they had two major problems. Number one, they said Jesus, was, Jesus would never be a human being. So they denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. Number two, they denied the reality of sin. And we'll get to that in a second. So what about you? In, in our culture today, we tend to have the opposite problem, don't we? We tend to deny the divinity of Christ, right? Almost everybody believes that there was a human Jesus that walked and talked, right? We've, we've got lots of um, even secular historians of the time that mention Christ or, or mention Jesus. So what about you? Do you have, do you have Christ right are, do you have Jesus right? And I could talk all day about this. I could, we could turn this into a Christology class right here. And I'm going to work hard not to do that. But a couple things to remember. Four important things. You have to believe that Jesus is fully God. These are the, these are the four fences of Jesus. Okay? With me? Is Jesus fully God? Number two, is he fully man? Number three, is he a single person? Number four, does he have two natures? Okay? So those, that's your basic Christology. Is Jesus fully God? Yes. Thank you. Is he fully man? Yes. Is he one person? He's not schizophrenic. He's not acting like God. He's not, he's not God one minute and human the next. Right? He's a single person, but with two full natures. And I get it, that's complicated, and I get it that that's mind-blowing, and that's the mystery of Christ. And again, we could talk about that all day. But if we get any of that wrong, we start to get Jesus wrong. And if we get Jesus wrong, then we get us wrong, and we get salvation wrong, and we get our experience of Christ wrong. There's lots of ways we can get it wrong. Number two. Number two. Do you deny the reality of your own sin? How do I know if I'm out of fellowship with God? Number one, you've got Jesus wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, you're not saved. If you get Jesus wrong, you're not saved. Number two, if you get your sin wrong, you're not saved. If you deny that you are a sinner, you're, you can't be saved. To be saved, you have to start with, I'm a sinner. We sang that too this morning, didn't we? Come, you sinners, poor and needy. All that he requires is that you understand your need of him. And so John addresses that. He says, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, 
We deceive ourselves because the Gnostics of his day said that. They said, well, since the physical doesn't matter and God doesn't care about the physical, anything I do in my body doesn't even matter. So by definition, there's no such thing as sin. That's where they landed. There is literally no such thing as sinning. And John's saying, uh, yeah, there is. What you do matters. What you do with your body matters. So he, he addresses verse 8. Do you say you have no sin nature? Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, committed sins. So there's two ways you can get sin wrong. You can say, first of all, I, I wasn't born a sinner. And then you could, or, or you could go to the extreme of I've never sinned or, or my sin doesn't matter. If you're wrong on that, then you're out of fellowship with God. Because to be in fellowship with God, first and foremost, you have to understand that you need God. To get Jesus right, first and foremost, you have to understand that you need Jesus. You need this cross. You need the death of Christ to save you. You need Jesus to have done it right for you. You need his righteousness for you. And then number three, the third thing that John will get into, he doesn't, he doesn't do it in the passage we're, we're going through. It's later in the book. But, but John will say, just on a very practical level, here's how to know if you're a Christian or not. Do you hate people? Do you hate people? In chapter 2, verse 9, he'll say, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. So that's the practical. That's the down-to-earth. That's, the, that's, the, that's the, the grass level. That's... Okay, all right, I got my theology right. I believe, you know, I got my, I got my Jesus fenced in correctly. Yep, I know I'm a sinner, but I, re- I can't stand people. I really hate that guy. I really hate her. I mean, if you, I mean, I get it. There's going to be times when we're, you know, like we just don't like some people and they rub us the wrong way. But listen, if you, if you are a genuine Christian who has experienced the overwhelming love of Christ for you while you were still a sinner, if you have genuinely experienced that and placed your faith in it, you will love other people. And if you, if you stand in front of me, any Christ, Christian who stands in front of me and says, Pastor Brady, I just, can't, I, I just hate everybody. I, I can't stand it. Well... Let's get back to basics then. I don't think you're saved. I don't think you've received love. I don't think you understand what love is, what the love of God is. Okay, Brady, what about when I sin? What about when I sin? When I sin, aren't I out of fellowship with God? Doesn't sin break fellowship with God? I hear that all the time. Do you hear that all the time? And again, I've already tipped my hand, and I admit that very good and smarter Christians than me are going to disagree with me on this. Probably a lot of you are already planning the email you're going to send me tomorrow. I get it. I get it. What about when I sin? So real quick, let's just talk about the concepts of position and condition. Position and condition. You see, we we relate to God positionally and and through condition, conditionally. So position is the idea of we are in Christ. I would, I would argue that positionally we are in fellowship with God, koinonia. We have partaken of Christ and we have partnered with Christ. We have partaken of God and we have partnered with God. As we sang in the song, I am his and he is mine. Amen. Right? Did you sing that with gusto? I hope you did. If you did and meant it, then you believe that positionally you are in Christ. Right? And no one can pluck you out of his hand, as we sang. 
So positionally. But I get it that conditionally, we don't always feel like we're in fellowship with God, do we? We have bad days, don't we? We have days when it just doesn't feel like God's listening. And honestly, I have days when I don't feel like talking. (laughs) I don't want to go to God. We all have those conditions that we walk through in and out of, right? But that condition never changes our position, does it? It doesn't change who we are. It doesn't change what Christ has done. And so we have to, we have to kind of you know, be able to understand that. So chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I'm writing so that you don't sin, but if anyone does sin, we're going to sin, aren't we? Positionally, we would say we are justified. We are without condemnation. Conditionally, we would say we sin all the time, right? We sin all the time. And don't get that wrong. Remember, that's one of the things you can't get wrong. Oh, I don't sin anymore, Brady. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So do I, all the time. So, is fellowship broken when I sin? Is fellowship broken when I sin? What happens in the moment I'm sinning? Is that when God leaves? Is that when Jesus breaks up with us? He changes his status on Facebook? It's complicated, right? He clicks that one. What happens when we sin? Is the partnership over in that moment? And I'm going to argue no. No, because first of all, we have Christ's propitiation, don't we? We have Christ's propitiation. His sacrifice has atoned for our sins. It has covered our sins. The wrath of God, propitiation means that God's wrath is satisfied. For those that are in Christ, God's wrath is not against us. There's no, now, therefore, no condemnation. And secondly, I'm going to argue no, that we are not out of fellowship. I'm going to say we are not out of fellowship because of Christ's advocacy. Christ's advocacy for us. Did you catch that? If anyone does sin, we have what? An advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That is some of the most glorious language in all of your Bible, Christian. We have a parakletos. We have a helper. We have an advocate. We have a comforter. Um, Frederick Bruner translates it as, we have a true friend. (laughs) We have a true friend who stands in our place. Jesus Christ has a dual ministry in heaven. He is our intercessor praying for us all of the time, and he is our advocate standing in our place in the precise moment that we are sinning. When we sin, notice it doesn't say when we stop sinning, we have an advocate. Oh, when we get it figured out, we have an advocate. It doesn't even say when we confess, we have an advocate. It says when you sin, you have an advocate. That's good news. That is good news. So what is happening when we sin? When we sin, God is pouring out His abundant life of mercy upon us, His grace. He's partnering with us to transform us into the image of Christ through our ongoing repentance and faith. I know that's a long statement. When we sin, God is pouring out His abundant life of mercy and grace, partnering with us to transform us into the image of Christ through ongoing repentance and faith. 
The Scripture says where sin abounds, grace abounds more. The Scripture says that God is rich in mercy. The Scripture says that God is is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And I would argue that the stories of Scripture point point our hearts in this direction. That when we sin, God doesn't move away from us, He moves toward us. When Adam and Eve sinned, where did God go? He went straight to the garden. What's going on? (laughs) Oh, we're done. The relationship is over. No. He healed them. He sacrificed, didn't he? When Jacob sinned all throughout his life, did Jesus run away from him or did Jesus show up and wrestle him? And say, I'm going to be, you you will now be called God wrestler. When the Israelites sinned with the golden calf, and initially God says, okay, I'm done. But Moses becomes the advocate. Moses stands in the place and and says, and Moses goes back up the mountain. Exodus 32, they sin with the calf. Exodus 33, Moses pleads. Exodus 34, Moses goes on top of the mountain again and says, God, show me your glory. Lord, show me your glory. And God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. In Hosea, God says, I can't, I can't love you anymore. You are, you are unloved and not my people. A chapter and a half later, ah, I love you. <laughs> I can't quit on you. You are loved. You are my people. Because I am abounding in love and mercy. Do you see, Christian? Do you see, Christian? Some of, you, some of you will say, Brady, if you keep preaching this, people are just going to sin more. People, you, you preach too much grace, Brady. You preach too much mercy. Where grace abounds, sin will abound more. My answer to that is, God forbid, you don't understand grace. How do you look into the eyes of perfect love and walk away from it and say, oh, I'll just do whatever I want now? That's a sick and twisted heart, isn't it? We look into the eyes of grace and mercy and it heals our hearts. It melts away our fears. It melts away our idols. It brings us the peace of Christ. Dane Ortland, in his book called Gentle and Lowly, which Joy and I have been reading together, it's, it's changing my life. I'll end with a quote from him. In his chapter on God being rich in mercy, he says this, Perhaps you have difficulty receiving the rich mercy of God in Christ, not because of what others have done to you, but because of what you've done to torpedo your life. Maybe through one big stupid decision, or maybe through 10,000 little ones, you have squandered his mercy and you know it. To you I say, do you know what Jesus does with those who squander his mercy? He pours out more mercy. God is rich in mercy. That's the whole point. Whether we have been sinned against or have sinned ourselves into misery, the Bible says God is not tight-fisted with mercy, but open-handed, not frugal, but lavish, not poor, but rich. That God is rich in mercy means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. 
It means the things about you that make you cringe the most make him hug harder. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, magnanimous. It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly, unhurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy-rich heart we had. Will you pray with me? God, we stand before you amazed that you would choose to be in fellowship with us, that you would allow us to partake in your life and partner with your mission, partner with your purpose. All because you are rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And now I lift up those, God, who don't know this truth, this most amazing of truths, this most healing of truths, that you want to share life with us, share light, share love, all through your Son, Jesus. May we find our fellowship in Him alone. God, I lift up every Christian in the sound of my voice that they would know today, that they would embrace once and for all, that when they sin, God, you aren't moving away, but you are moving toward that when our shame and our guilt overtake our hearts, God, your love is surging in our hearts. God, you are rich in mercy. It's who you are. You never run out. It's a never-ending bank account, a, ne a never-ending well, a, a, a stream of life bubbling up inside of us. Change our hearts with this truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.